order. Questions of the Prime Minister's Anderson Mr Speaker, this morning I have meetings with Ministerial College and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Our specialist hospitals are the jewels in the NHS crown, but unfortunately their knowledge and expertise isn't always passed on to district general hospitals, which means some patients undergo inappropriate operations which later have to be reversed by specialist hospitals or even worse are prevented from having operations which could free them from pain. So could the Prime Minister spare just 10 minutes to meet the Chair of the Federation of Specialist Hospitals to see how matters could be improved? Of course I will uh, and I think he will understand as I will understand that that depends on proper investment in these specialist hospitals as well and I think he will be as equally he will be as equally concerned as I am by the remarks of the Shadow Health Secretary that he is going to be cutting spending in the vital areas that are important to our country. Mr Speaker, the Shadow Health Secretary has said he will be reviewing national health organisations on a zero basis. He says he wants to ensure the unit cuts considerably reduce rather than increase. He said, this, he said this morning that he wants a 10% reduction in the departmental limits. I think before the Conservatives ask for more spending on the Health Service, we should talk to the Shadow Chancellor and the Shadow Health Secretary. Mr Speaker, will the Prime Minister affirm the Labour Government's commitment to maintaining funding for public services such as housing, universities, police and law and order, transport and pensions, and reject the Tory party policy of 10% across the board cuts, which would take this country back, which would take this country back to the worst days of Thatcherism? Mr Speaker, specifically the Shadow Health Secretary said this morning over three years after 2011, a 10% reduction in the departmental expenditure limits for other departments. It is a very tough spending requirement indeed, he said, and he said the job of the Shadow Chancellor is to be clear about where the spending restraint bites. There can be no doubt that the choice, whenever it comes, is between a government that is prepared to invest in the future and a Conservative Party that is going to cut. When, when even the old-timers are reading out the whip's handout questions, <laughs> that's when you know things are really bad for the government. Can I, can I first of all say how pleased I am to see the Prime Minister in his place? Let me, let me be clear, Mr Speaker, about what we think of electoral reform. We want to keep the existing system. We support the link between one MP and one constituency, and we back our system because you can throw out weak, tired and discredited governments. And let me say, we supported this system when we were behind, when we were ahead, when we won, when we lost. So can I ask the Prime Minister, why has he suddenly discovered an interest in changing the electoral system? Does it, does it have anything to do with the fact that his party got 15% of the vote last week? Mr Speaker, finally, after many, many weeks, a question on policy. Isn't, isn't it remarkable it has taken this time for the Conservatives to come up with a question? 
the statement I will make in a few minutes after 12.30 will deal with exactly these uh, problems. I have, to remind them, I have to remind them that with the Conservative Party's support in many cases, there are different electoral systems in different parts of the United Kingdom. There's a different one in Northern Ireland, a different one in Scotland, a different one in Wales, a different one for the European Parliament, which is proportional representation, and a different one in the House of Commons. Uh, but I will, I will deal with this issue in the constitutional statement in a few minutes. Very uh, yeah. Oh, my apologies, I was too quick. It's a camera. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure, Mr. Speaker, I'm sure, Mr. Speaker, you would agree. It's no good saying wait for the statement when he's briefed all the details out to the press. And I have to say, in asking questions about personalities, what is there left to ask when so many members of the Cabinet walked out because they can't work with him? I want to ask the Prime Minister questions about the issue of electoral reform and also about the process he intends to follow. On the issue, does he agree with me that a truly proportional system has massive drawbacks? Didn't we see this on Sunday night when the BNP, a bunch of fascist thugs, got two members elected to the European Parliament? Does he agree with me that is a very, very strong argument against proportional systems? Mr Speaker, let, let the whole House send the message that the politics of discrimination and prejudice and bigotry have no part to play in the democratic life of our country. And let us all take action, let us all take action together to expose the racist, the racist and bigoted policies of the British National Party. And let us be clear that on this side of the House we will do everything in our power to show that the problems, the problems that made people vote for the BNP are problems that we are dealing with on housing and on social justice and employment. But nobody will support the anti-Semitic and the policy of the BNP that is even against mixed-race marriage. Now, I believe that the whole country can unite on this. What I say about electoral reform, however, is that I have never myself supported the, uh, the, the, the policy of proportional representation for a Westminster Parliament. That, is always, uh, that has always uh, been my, my view. He has to accept that the policy of proportional representation exists for the European elections. I don't see a proposal from his party to change it at the moment. But he also has got to accept that the Jenkins proposals that contain their policies for AV plus PR laid down a criteria by which it would be impossible for the British National Party to have held a seat even on the PR system in the British Parliament unless they won a constituency seat. Mr. Carman. Everyone would agree with what the Prime Minister says about defeating the BNP, and it does mean all mainstream parties making sure they go door to door and they get their voters to go out and vote. Let me ask about the process. Let us be clear about what the Prime Minister seems to be considering. We are in the fifth and final year of a parliament. There have been reports that a referendum on electoral reform is being considered for before the general election. Can the Prime Minister confirm those reports? Is that something he's considering? Uh, no plans uh, for that. And let me just, j just say, uh, when he hears the statement uh, later, he will hear that there is an interest throughout the country in what happens uh, to electoral reform. Uh, we published a review... Well, well I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We published a review on the issue of electoral reform only a few months ago. Uh, that, that, is, that has led to a serious debate in the country. But we are not putting, we are not putting proposals forward today. And if I may say so, I said he had moved on to policy, but there seems to be an element of self-interest in the way that he is approaching policy. Is it, is it not strange? Is it not strange? Is it... Is it is, is, is it not strange? 
Is it not strange, Mr. Speaker? Order, order. It's getting too noisy. It's the way you uh, order, order. And I'm, I'm not getting much help from the Chief Whip. Maybe if I get a bit of help from the Chief Whip here. It'd be a bad day when I have to tell the Chief Whip to be quiet. But uh, the Prime Minister must be heard. Is it not strange they're not even interested in discussing this democratic reform, but also, Mr Speaker, that the first questions he asks about policy are not about the economy, not about the health service, not about education, not about public services, not about the issues that the public out there know that we and they are concerned about? I have to say to the Prime Minister, it's remarks like that that make him a figure of ridicule across this country. Everyone is entitled to ask what the Prime Minister's motive is. For 12 years, not a squeak about electoral reform, and now suddenly, because he's getting trashed at two elections, suddenly he wants to put it on the agenda. This is all of a piece with the Prime Minister treating the nation like fools, expecting us to believe that the Honourable Member for Edinburgh South West is his first choice as Chancellor, telling us that he cancelled the election because he was going to win it. The Prime Minister said... The Prime Minister said he had no plans for a referendum. Now, we all know what that means. He said he had no plans to put up taxes in 1997. So instead of saying no plans, let him stand up at that dispatch box and rule out a referendum. I said I had no plans. I repeat, I have no plans. (laughs) Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, isn't it again remarkable? What MPs are being told by their constituents is to concentrate on getting the politics of this country sorted out. What they're being told is concentrating on getting us through the recession. What they're being told is build us a better future. And not one question from the Leader of the Opposition can be about the central issues facing our country. The Prime Minister has chosen today to make a statement about constitutional reform. He can't complain. He can't complain that I'm asking questions about it. And when the Prime Minister talks about the economy, let's be clear what his legacy will be. Not the most useless government we've had in history, though it is. His legacy will be the biggest budget deficit in Europe and the biggest we've had in our history. So let's be clear about this no plans or no proposals today, as he put it. A man with no democratic legitimacy, who's never been elected as our Prime Minister, who's been defeated every time the public have been able to vote for him, is now considering trying to fix the rules of the election before the next general election. Isn't that what's happening? Mr Speaker, first of all on uh, public spending and deficits, let him confirm that his proposals are for a 10% cut in most departmental expenditure. If he wishes to raise the question of deficits and debts, let him confirm that that is now the proposal of the Shadow Chancellor to cut public expenditure by 10%, as confirmed by the Shadow Health Secretary this morning. And let us have a debate about the choice that really does exist in the country between a Conservative Party that now wants to cut even at a time of recession into our basic public services and a Labour Party that wants to invest in them. Let him also be honest with with the country that when it comes to calling for election, he has absolutely no plan for dealing with the recession. He has got no policies for dealing with unemployment, no policies for dealing with small businesses, no policies for dealing with the problems of this country. He is an opposition leader who has no plans for government and he doesn't deserve to be in government. I had one of my plans for dealing with the recession was the same as the Prime Minister's last week. Sack the Chancellor. (laughs) He might be talking talking about a second preference voting system. The fact is he's left with a second preference Chancellor. Now, on the issue of public spending, on the issue of public spending, let's be clear 
about the answers the Prime Minister has given. He said last week public spending is rising every year. That is what he said. His Chancellor said, I have cut overall public spending. The figures the Prime Minister is hawking around are his own figures. He is planning to cut public spending by 7% in every department over the next three years. The next election, the next election, when he has the guts to call it, won't be about Labour investment versus Tory cuts. It's going to be an election about the mismanagement... about the mismanagement of the public finances, the appalling deficit he's left, and his plan for cuts. But let me just ask him this question. Why not? Why not on the issue of electoral reform? Why not on the issue of electoral reform admit this? The current system gives the country the chance to throw out a government that is weak, that is divided, that is incompetent, and that's what we should be having now. Mr Speaker... Mr Speaker, let me read the figures for public spending so that there is absolutely no doubt about the truth of what I'm saying and that he's got it wrong. Public spending this year is $621 million. It rises next year to $672 million. That's this financial year. Then to 702, then to 717, then to 738, then to 758. That is public spending rises. The only party that's proposing a cut in public spending is the Conservative Party. And he's right. At the next election, there will be a choice. There'll be a choice between a government that helped people and actively intervened to take us through a downturn and a Conservative Party that will do nothing. Mr Robertson. You can't behave like that, and you're on the risk of being put out the house. You're on the risk of being put out the house. Everyone's got to be quiet. The Prime Minister. We have a choice between a government that has actually intervened to deal with the recession and a Conservative Party that said do nothing. And it will be the choice now between a government that is increasing public spending by the figures that I've raised and a Conservative leader who, for the first time in the House of Commons during this Parliament, has now admitted that the policy of his party is spending cuts. That is what he's told us today. That is going to be the choice before the country. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I know you're very anxious to hear this question. The Prime Minister is aware that Barnsley College has been caught up in the incredible bungling of the Learning and Skills Council over the Building Colleges for the Future programmes, to the extent that we have a half-demolished college. Incredibly, the LST delayed the decision from the 3rd of June yet again on which colleges will be funded. My college is now technically insolvent and has announced 53 redundancies. When will the Prime Minister intervene to sort this mess out? In the budget... In the budget, an extra £300 million was put to further education colleges. We are now looking at how we can help the individual colleges who've got spending proposals for new investment. Let me remind this House that there was no investment taking place in further education colleges when we came into power. We are now investing more in further education colleges than ever before, and I believe that his college at Barnsley is one of the priorities for getting that new investment. Dick Flig. Speaker, everyone who's been out on the campaign trail in the last few weeks 
knows how angry and frustrated people have become in the way that this government always raises people's hopes only to see them disappointed again and again. And nowhere is that truer than in housing, where we've had more announcements for new homes. Now, since January, when the Prime Minister announced the biggest council house building programme in decades, only 20 new homes have been started. So will he, for once, just for once, make a promise and actually deliver? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I don't accept his uh, figures. W what has happened since January is that we brought in place uh, measures, first of all, to protect people in their own homes. So the expected rate of mortgage repossessions has not happened, and mortgage repossessions are roughly as they were a few months ago. Equally, at the same time, we are bringing in a programme for social housing to invest more in social housing over the next few months and, indeed, over the next few years. And I, I, have, to, I, have, to, I have to tell him we are prepared to take even more decisions to make available more social housing over the next few months. Now, that's only possible because we have taken the decisions that his and the Conservative Party have opposed about the increased investment that's necessary at the time of a recession. So I hope if he's going to ask us for more social housing, he'll support the investment that is necessary for it. Well, if that's all true, why are a staggering 1.8 million families in this country waiting for a home? That is 70% more than when this government came into power. Now, if he wants to do something now, why doesn't he stop the Treasury from grabbing all the money that councils raise in rents and sales and allow them to use that money instead to build desperately needed homes? Will he at least do that? Yeah. Mr Speaker, I have to tell him there are a million more people in homes than when we came into government government in 1997. We have also improved house houses for more than a million extra people. At the same time, we are putting aside extra money for social housing. I have to tell them that over £40 billion in total will have been invested on housing since 1997 by 2010, and we will have made house improvements for 8 million people. We are reducing the number of non-decent so social homes by more than a million. And I just have to say that since 1997, over £29 billion has been invested in social housing. We are not complacent, and that is why we are planning to invest more this year. Since the stated objective of bailing out the banks was to maintain lending to businesses and homeowners at 2007 levels, and since the latest official figures just published show that that lending is now absolutely flat, indeed 20% down on 2007 levels, when will my right honourable friend use the power which he already has from majority ownership of several major banks to force the banks to give priority to rescuing the real economy rather than simply looking after their own interests and letting the real economy hang go. Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend is right that the banks have a duty now to lend to small businesses and for housing. Since March the 1st, they've been under an obligation as, as, a, as a result of quantitative agreements we've reached. In other words, they have agreed RBS to increase its lending this year by £25 billion, uh, Lloyd's TSB to increase its lending by £14 billion, Northern Rock by £5 billion. Voluntarily, HSBC and Barclays have agreed to increase their lending. The total increase in lending that has agreed to come from March the 1st is £70 billion extra over what happened last year, and you will begin to see the companies that will benefit from that being able to say that where rejections happened before when they put in applications, they are now having their applications accepted. Now, we will continue to monitor this situation, but I assure them that £70 billion more ex extra money 
is going into lending to small businesses and to homes. Sir Robert Smith. Thank you, sir. Mr Speaker, pensioners and others who rely on their savings are suffering greatly from the low interest rates needed to tackle the recession. Will the Prime Minister explain to them why the savings limit for council tax benefit has stuck at £16,000, when if it had gone up in line with the retail price index, it would now be £27,000. Mr Speaker, in in all areas, we've got to look at what we can afford at at different times. And uh, obviously, we have done a great deal for those who are on pension credit to raise the amount of money that they receive. We've done a great deal for people who are on uh, working tax credit and on child tax credit to raise the amount of money they receive. Obviously, reform in housing benefit is something that we are looking at, but I think he's got to accept that one and a half million children have come out of poverty of what we've done, and a million pensioners have come out of poverty also as a result of what we've done. If we hadn't had the pension credit, the winter allowance, and we had uh, the free TV licence, then pensioners would not be as well off as they are, and there are many people in other parties who did not support that when we did it. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last week, Able UK announced a multi-million pound investment in my constituency which is going to create 5,000 much-needed jobs. It is on the largest development site in the north of England on a deep-water estuary. I would appreciate it if my right honourable friend and his ministers could tell me what he can further do to secure more economic development in my area and across the country. And to that end, will he meet me and my colleagues to look at some of the barriers we still have to economic growth in my constituency, such think, as... Uh, or, 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 I think the Prime Minister will ma- manage an answer to that. Mr Speaker... Just for uh, members opposite, the latest estimate shows that there would be 500,000 more people unemployed if we had followed the policies of the Conservative Party. And let me me say that at all times we will seek foreign direct investment into this country. We have given new allowances for people so that they can invest now, so that they can invest through the recession into our future. The only way of making a better future is to invest in the future. That's what we are doing. Unfortunately, our opponents want to cut. Mark Lancaster. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Parliament stands accused of being ever more distant from the country. So, away from the political arena, what does the Prime Minister feel that he's ever achieved in the real world that qualifies him to lead the nation? I think every... I think every MP uh, should return with a bit of humility after listening to the constituents over the, last, over the last few weeks. And I think every MP has learned from the constituents that they want us to clean up their politics and they want us to get them through the recession and they want us to build for the future. Now, that is what I am going to do and I believe I have the experience to do that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the next two years... Ealing's Health Services will see an increase in funding of over 55 million, thanks to the Labour government. However, is my right honourable friend aware of concerns in the NHS about a zero basis review of his budget? Will the Prime Minister reassure me that he will not implement these Tory plans? Mr Speaker, I, I could also give the House the figures for current expenditure over the next few years. Current expenditure, including the health service, will rise from 565 billion to 608 to 645 to 666 
to £689 billion and then to £712 billion. That is not a cut, that is a rise in expenditure. The only way that these cash figures will be cut is if there is a Conservative government cutting 10% out of the major departments. This is the day, Mr Speaker, when the Shadow Health spokesman of the Conservative Party has admitted that the Conservatives plan 10% cuts in our vital public services. This is the day when the Conservatives have revealed their true manifesto for this country, and this is the day when they've showed that the choice at the next election is between investment under Labour and massive cuts under the Conservative Party. In uh, 2007, there were 8,324 deaths where C. difficile was mentioned as a cause on the death certificate. That was an increase of 28% on the year before. Yesterday, the BMI brought out a report uh, which said that uh, infection control procedures were being damaged because of overcrowding and understaffing at NHS facilities. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that any unavoidable death is totally unacceptable and in light of this report, what fresh actions is the government now going to take to eliminate all superbugs from our hospitals? Well, Mr Speaker, I am determined to do that. Uh, we have brought in new rules uh, for nurses. We have brought in new rules uh, for people being checked as they come into hospitals. We have brought in new rules for cleanliness. We have given matrons more powers and doubled the number of matrons so that cleanliness is at the centre of everything that happens in the National Health Service. We are determined to root out CDV seal and we are determined, obviously, to deal with MRSA as well. And I can assure them that anyone who has had personal experience of that happening to any member of their family, we have both there uh, to, to continue the work that we are doing to remove CDV seal and, and MSRA, and we have the utmost sympathy for them if that has happened. Does my, does my right honourable friend <laughs> steady? <laughs> does my right honourable friend understand the anger amongst people who work in financial services who have seen billions of pounds quite rightly invested in our banks to shore them up, but now have seen thousands of jobs being jettisoned by, for example, the Cheltenham and Gloucester uh, in the midst of a recession? And does he agree with me that they need to work with the unions? and actually keep people in work during a recession rather than shedding jobs to pay money back to the government. My honourable friend is a great advocate for his constituents and I know Cheltenham and Gloucester have made a number of redundancies and that is a big issue not only for him but for the rest of the country. I'm happy to meet him to talk about these issues but let me say our determination is to keep as many jobs as possible in this country and to prevent unemployment where it's possible but where it happens to give people new jobs. 150,000 new jobs have been created as a result of a new investment that we're making in the flexible New Deal to enable young people and others to get jobs. And even in this difficult situation, more than 200,000 people are finding new jobs every month. We will continue to provide that support. But again, I have to say to the House, the issue is very clear. We are prepared to provide the investment that is necessary for jobs. The Conservatives are revealed again as the party of cuts. Mark Harper. Last month, before the local elections, the Prime Minister, in answer to a question from the Honourable Member for Gloucester, said that we on this side wanted to abolish the regional development agencies. We do. We want to give the powers and the budgets to local authorities. And he said, we will support it. We will invest. They would make cuts. This week, after those elections, the South West RDA has made £56 million of cuts, cutting projects in my constituency in Newington-Sinderford, halving the budget for regeneration in Gloucester, 
Why should anybody believe a word the Prime Minister says again? Thousands of companies in his area are getting help under the Inland Revenue Scheme and other schemes that we are introducing. Thousands of companies are getting special help to take them through the recession. But if his, if his argument is that we must avoid cuts, then he better talk to his Shadow Chancellor because he is proposing massive cuts in services today and in the future. The Conservative Party has been revealed today as a party that will fight for the next few months on cuts in services, and at some point they're going to have to tell us how many nurses and how many doctors and how many teachers and how many carers and how many public servants are going to lose their jobs as a result of this new policy announced this morning. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, can I ask the Prime Minister to join with me in paying tribute to Lawrence Daly, General Secretary of the NUM, from 1968 to 1984. This is the man who led the Wilberforce Inquiry on behalf of the Union and changed the conditions in the mining industry more than any other individual has ever done. This is a man who loved to sing, a man who loved to do poetry, and at the end of the day, the NUM in Scotland, and Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is an honourable member of the Scottish Miners' Union, are looking at paying a tribute to him in his homeland of Fife. Would the Prime Minister consider coming to Fife and paying tribute and speaking to that thing? I, I, would, I, would, I would indeed. Uh, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Daly was... Lawrence Daly was, a, was a, a friend of mine as well as of many people. I think there are few people who did more to advance miners' conditions in this country than Lawrence Daly. He fought for miners' safety in a way that made, made it happen that there were big changes in the safety in the mining industry, and he fought for miners to get the rights and the compensation for pneumoconiosis and from other diseases. Uh, and I believe that he and so many other uh, miners' leaders who fought for good conditions in what is a very dangerous industry, deserve the wholesale gratitude of everybody on all sides of the House. Yeah. Order. 